Well, let's get started. We're going to get into the Word this morning. Give you, Daniel, a chance to get his stuff going there. We've been in a series called Spiritual Warfare for a long time, and we're not quite done with it. And uh, just to kind of give you a recap of where we've been, what we've done, and, and whatnot. We started off at the very basics. And one of the things that I tend to do, and sometimes I overkill on this, but I want to make sure we're all starting from the same places. I want to build a solid foundation from Scripture of anything that we are teaching on. Because it is only Scripture that is the foundation of truth. It is not our opinions. It is not what so-and-so teaches. It is the Word of God. The Word of God is infallible, and so therefore we lean on it. And so we always start with that. And I said there are four fundamental questions that every believer must be able to answer from a biblical perspective. The first one, the biggie, who is God? Now, a lot of us in our minds can come up with a quick answer of who God is. You know, He's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's the Creator. And all of those things are true. But what does God say, or who does God say that He is according to Scripture? So we went through and we answered that. And then we look at who am I in relationship to God? Because once we establish who God is, then we need to know who we are according to Him. Where do we stand according to Him? We're obviously not higher than Him. We're obviously lower than Him. But what is our place? What is the, the authority of the believer and whatnot? The next one is how do we worship God? That's a biggie. Because we understand who God is. We understand who we are in relationship to Him. But then we've got to understand how do we worship God? And then the last one is who is our enemy? And that is where we've really been focusing over the last several weeks. Because one of the things, and this is what I used to teach, I used to travel around and, and train sales guys back in the day. Okay, and one of the things I tested is, number one, you need to know your product inside, outside, frontward, backwards, every way that you can know it. And then you need to know who your competition is. Because if you don't know who your competition is and what makes them what they are, you don't know how to compare your product and how your product looks better than them. It's the same thing when it comes to uh, uh, who our enemy is. We know who our enemy is. It is certainly not God, and it is certainly not one another. It is one focused enemy, and that is Satan. And we looked at different aspects of who he was. Number one is what is his name. We looked at what does he look like. We've looked at also, when did he fall? All sorts of different things that we've looked at uh, through the scriptures, gone through as exegetically as I can, which is just a big fancy word that means verse by verse. We are letting scripture interpret scripture is all we're doing. And so we're coming to the place today where we're going to begin to look at what are his weapons. Now, this is different, and I'll tell you this early, and I'll explain it more on. Uh, Further on, um, I had a completely different message prepared for today. I was going in a completely different direction. But as I was driving back from North Carolina last week, the Lord began to quicken in my heart to go the direction we're going today. So we, I was going to teach out of Genesis 6. And the odd things that go on inside of Genesis 6, if you ever get a chance to go read that, go read it and look at what it's telling you. It's very fascinating. It's one of my favorite studies. Um, and that was my intention. But the Lord said to go this way, and I'll tell you why towards the end. But before we do anything, we're going to start off with 2 Corinthians chapter chapter 10. If you brought a Bible, go ahead and open there. I have it up on the screen for you just in case you don't. That way you can follow along. I read out of the New King James if you're looking to follow along with me. And one thing I'll say is everybody's kind of turning there just for in case you're not around all the time. I typically teach in series and all the series is, is we're going to take one subject and break it down in bite-sized pieces week to week. In other words, I don't want to give you so much information that maybe you re re uh, retain about 10% of it. I want you to be able to understand this, and then when it comes time to use it, we have a foundation of Scripture upon which this is built on. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 1, we've read this every single week. It says, Now I, Paul, myself am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold towards you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with the confidence by which I intend to be bold against some, who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in 
the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. This is powerful. There's a lot of things going on in this one verse, and we've not broken this down yet, and we will here in a few weeks. But the thing that we need to understand, the key out of all of this is that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are spiritual. Too often, we believers look at the carnal side of things, the natural things, the things we can see, touch, feel, hear, taste, whatever you want to say. We look at it from that standpoint and we lose sight of the spiritual stuff that is going on in the background. At one point in creation, prior to the fall, the spiritual is what there was. Obviously, there was a physical world, but they were joined together. Adam and Eve could see God. They fellowshiped with God in a way that you and I can't necessarily do, although it's been brought back to a much better place than what it was. And so we don't walk according to the flesh, which means one thing. We walk according to the Word and the Spirit of God who leads us into all truth. Okay, so that is where we've started. That's where we've been. Let's look at today and what we talk about. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we've just turned back a few pages. Paul is talking to the church that they need to forgive one another. There's a whole lot of stuff going on, and they need to let it go, and they need to move on. What Paul is doing, if you look at, don't ever mimic the Corinthian church. You don't want to be the Corinthian church. A lot of us joke it's the first church of California because there's just a lot of fruits and nuts and things going on inside of there. They're bringing, Paul's always bringing correction. He never comes out and says, hey, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. No, he says, you guys are idiots. Let me show you how you should be doing it, basically. And so there's a lot of, of stifleness and things that are going on inside of the church between 1 Corinthians and, of course, 2 Corinthians. Paul actually wrote four letters to the Corinthian church. We have two of them because that's all God said we needed. But he was constantly dealing with these guys. And so they were carnally minded. They weren't spiritually minded. They weren't walking according to the word. But what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11, after dealing with all of this stuff, the unforgiveness and the not dealing with what's going on with their brothers, it says, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And I will tell you this, that the body of Christ today is ignorant of his devices. That's the problem. You see, you can't war against something if you don't know what that something is. You have to be able to overcome that. You have to know who you are in relationship to God. Because it doesn't matter who you think you are, and it certainly doesn't matter what anybody else thinks you are. It only matters who God says you are. And so who we are in relationship to him is where this comes into. This means that we must understand the devil's tricks, his traps, and examine how he uses these key weapons and individually targeted ways to attack each of us. Right? So we're going to go through today. And again, this is different than I had planned, but I believe there's a reason that God is doing this today. We're going to look at the weapons that Satan uses. The number one, the most obvious, would be pride. Right? No question about it, pride. We saw, it's one, it's his strongest weapon, right? It's what ultimately caused him to fall, and we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. You know, in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, you see it at different places. But pride is always a danger, especially when things are going well. Because in times of peace and prosperity, when life seems to be going good, we tend to take our eyes off of God, Right? What do we naturally do as human beings? We do enough spiritual stuff to make ourselves feel good, 
until crisis hits. And then all of the sudden, we bring God in. Right? When we're making plenty of money, we got more than enough to pay our bills. We don't depend on God to be the one who meets our needs according to His riches and glory, which is what He said. It's not what I said, it's what He said. We don't do that. We just depend on our paycheck or we depend on our business or whatever. But as soon as times get tough, now, God, what are you going to do? Bring me through this. You know, when we're healthy, we don't pray to God to be healed. We don't need it. We just walk through it. And it's an element of pride because we have not totally surrendered our lives to Christ and saying, God, this is all yours. And I will worship you for it all. Now, I'm using uh, kind of big language and painting everybody with a broad brush. Obviously, that is not the case. There are plenty of people in here that do this. But natural human beings is what I'm referring to. We are prideful. Here's a test, okay? Here's a test to see how prideful you are. Next time you have a group picture taken or a family photo, think about who's the first person you go and look for in that photo. We always go and look for ourselves, don't we? Why? We want to see how good we look. We want to make sure our fly wasn't down. Were we picking our nose or something hanging out? What was it, right? But we naturally, oh, every time, it's, it never fails. My daughter, I hand her a, a picture of her and a group of her friends. What she do? Oh, look, I look pretty in this dress. Yeah, you sure do, don't you? You know, that's what they do. That's what we do. We as believers are prideful. But I want you to look at, at, at Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'll give you a chance to flip over there. And look at the warning that God is giving to his people getting ready to head in the promised land. Deuteronomy chapter 8, we're going to start at verse 11. This is God talking. They've gone through the wilderness. They've done all of this stuff. God has provided all of their needs throughout, enough to live. They weren't you know, necessarily getting rich at this time, but they were surviving. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting in verse 11, he says this, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His judgment, and His statue, which I commanded you today. Beware. This is coming from God. That means listen up. Verse 12, Lest when you have eaten and are full, and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness, in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land, where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who led you in the wilderness, with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained this wealth. Welcome to America. Look at our country today. A country that was founded on principles completely based off Scripture. I think 37% of it, of the, the, the Declaration of Independence in the Constitution, can be directly tied to some sort of biblical passage, verse, whatnot. And all these guys that fought all these wars for us and did all of this stuff to set up the infrastructures that we have today has created an entitlement mindset. And we forgot the one who's made it possible. If you study the Revolutionary War, and how even George Washington lived. I mean, the Indians called him the man who cannot die. He found bullet holes in his jacket, yet he was never hit. You know, there was the hand of God upon him, protecting why? Because God had a plan for this country, but we see in this one passage, and this was 40 years that they wandered. We're well over 200. We've wandered away 
from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This country was set up to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can never forget why we were here, and that is why we're in the state that we are today. That is why we see the nonsense going on that we see today. And so we forget about this. The best example of pride that you can look at, of course, is Lucifer himself, the one who became Satan only, ultimately. From the time of his creation, he had always lived under God's perfect rule, yet eventually his heart was lifted up with pride and he rebelled. He uses the same device on man today. He did it from the beginning. He looked at Eve and said, did God really say that? Basically insinuating that, does God really not want you to be like him? Why would he not want that? And the pride is like, well, we want to be like God. And we'll do anything to do it, even in the terms of breaking the very word that he gave us. We do anything to be more noticed, more, more notoriety. We try to climb the corporate ladders. Why? It's not because we just want to make more money. It's, that's part of it. Sometimes this isn't always the case. But a lot of it has to do with this, as human beings, we want pride or we have pride. We want power. We want authority. We want people to look at us and say, look what he's done. And I can tell you all of this because that was me. And I can say this from my own perspective. It wasn't only until my quote-unquote wilderness experience over the last few years that God showed me where I was off. You see, I thought everything was going well. I had a business that was very successful. We were making a lot of money. Life was good, whatnot. And I thought I was doing it all for the glory of God. But it wasn't until I go through this, this trouble that God didn't bring on, let me tell you that, but that he simply because he had to get me right in order for me to do right in his eyes. In other words, I had to swallow my pride and realize that this isn't about me. And that's the problem. We make Christianity about us. We make church about us. We don't make it about those who have never been here. We don't make it about those who need salvation today. We make it about whatever we like, whatever we want, and we gripe and complain when it's not that way. Pride is the opposite of the godly love that the Apostle Paul described in 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. This is about as simple as Paul can make it. This is right between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, which is talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And in this, he says, if you have not love, all of this is useless. If you can prophesy, but you're a jerk, who cares? You know, we, we, we act as if we crave these things, and yet we should be craving this God kind of love. This love that doesn't enable people to continue in their sin, but to set them free from their sin, that we set them free according to what God, is said, uh, God Himself has said. Pride does not, or does, parade itself and is puffed up. And when we think more highly of ourselves than others, it is easy to become impatient. It's easy to become unkind. It's easy to become rude. It's easy to become self-seeking when we're not putting others before ourselves. We constantly seek what's good for us. And yet he said we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. In other words, we should be thinking, what is best for them? What is, what, I mean, if it hurts me a little bit, if it requires sacrifice on my part, what is best for them? But we don't do that. We have pride. And even if we don't think we're prideful, we're typically prideful. Because it is this battle that we have going on. We even fall in the trap of being proud of doing good things. This is demonstrated by the Pharisee in Jesus Christ's parable of 
the Pharisee and the publican, he gave par this parable as a warning to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised by others. And this is in Luke chapter 18. I'm going to read this for you. Luke 18 and verse 9. You don't need to flip there. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Here's the parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. What's he saying? Look at me. I'm godly. Look at all the things that I can do. Look at I fast, I tithe, I go to church every Sunday. I never miss. It would have been Saturday back then. They kept the Sabbath. Look at all these good things I do. Look at how I give money to the poor. Look how I mow my neighbor's grass. Look at all of this stuff. And he's comparing himself to the tax collector, which is interesting because Matthew was a tax collector and that he used this illustration. But what does the tax collector do? He said, Father, I'm sorry. I need a Savior. I think it's interesting that he used that analogy as when he did, given that Matthew was probably there as he spoke this. But this is the Jesus that we know. Because Jesus went to people wherever they were and however they happened to be at that time, lost in sin, didn't care, lepers, all of that kind of stuff that from a Jewish standpoint was forbidden for him to associate with because they were unclean people. They couldn't, he couldn't associate with anybody but Jews. And yet he went to them, but he never left them in the state that they were in. He always brought them out. I think that's interesting is how we should live our lives. Paul warns that in these perilous last days that we're going to see pride come to a level perhaps that we've never seen. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, But know this, that in the last day perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, Blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Verse 5, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And here's the commandment. And from such people turn away. You can see it too. You can see everything that is going on. You can see exactly what he's saying is happening today. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. What does that look like? The church today is not what the church that was. The church that was gave their lives willingly to buck the system. You look at Paul, who was a Pharisee. He was a higher up. All of this stuff, Jesus humbled him. And all of the apostles with the exception of John, was martyred in some capacity. They gave their life for this truth, this new truth. But what does the church do today? Well, cults are saying this, and I don't want to hurt their feelings, so I'm just going to go along with it. You know, we, we, we change what the element of truth is, as if we somehow defined what truth was from the beginning. God is the one who defined truth. It wasn't us. It was Him. 
We don't get to change definitions of words. We don't get to change what is right in the eyes of God. But yet that is what the church does because what are they saying? They have a form of godliness. In other words, they say, well, we believe the Bible. We preach, the, we sing songs. We collect money. We do the things that church does, but they're denying the power of the Holy Spirit to transform lives. Because if we're not preaching the gospel, then nobody knows that they are lost in their sin, and that is how the power of God comes into play. It is a transformation of lives. And too often we're too prideful to actually have that conversation with somebody. And when I say prideful, it is this self-righteous pride and the aspect that we look at somebody and we're just like, well, I just can't be around them. I can't associate with them. I can't, be, I, can't, you know, I can't go talk to them. They're doing stuff that I disapprove of. And those are the people that we need to go to. Those are the people that need Christ the most. Those are the people who desperately need a Savior. You know who else desperately needed a Savior? All of us. Everyone in this room at one time was unclean before God and only made righteous through Him. Our pride should not be in our ability to keep God's command, but our pride should be boasting in that Jesus Christ came down to this earth as a man, sacrificed Himself for us because He loved the world and that we received that free gift of Jesus Christ, the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life with Him. Ephesians 2 talks about that we are saved through grace, or by grace, through faith, in Christ, lest any man should boast, which means no man can boast. We're not made right by the things we're due. We're made right by the things He's done. That's the key. We're, there should be no pride in us. If we truly humble ourselves before God, that means that everything we have is His. And everything we've done belongs to Him. And it should be for His glory only, not ours. But this is the struggle. This is one of the tools that the enemy uses. He puffs us up. And I'm not saying that Satan comes up and says, Hey, you're pretty great. Keep it up. Sometimes he uses people to tell us how fantastic we are. That doesn't mean you can't ever give a compliment. Okay, Just always give compliments. It's good. Another one is envy. It's a powerful device that Satan uses, specifically the kind of envy that is distorted and has this selfish sense of fairness, right? And it's like, well, you know, that's not fair. I should have that, or I should be able to do that. Or why do they get all the good stuff and I seem to get whatever's left over? And this goes all the way back to Cain's envy of Abel. When Abel was blessed for his offering, Cain thought it wasn't fair. But God knew to both of them. He knew what was going on. And so in his eyes, of course, it's totally fair. The only way it cannot be fair is if there is no standard. But God laid out a standard. This is the way things are going to be done. We know that because of Satan's influence, people don't like to be told what to do. The forbidden pleasures grab people's attention and focus, and Satan makes them seem somehow more enticing and pleasurable than the true pleasure that God wants us to have. In other words, we chase the things instead of the one who made the things. You see this in Roman one, Romans 1, that, that they, they, they started worshiping the creation rather than the creator. So what does this envy produce? James 3.16. It's says, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. I'm going to read that again. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Now think about that and just process that for just a moment. God's obviously told us the way that we should be. We shouldn't be envious of one another at all. 
Because technically, we're all at the same level as far as God's concerned. We're right in his eyes. Okay? Now, God gives different gifts to the church, and different individuals may be able to do different things and, and whatnot, as God equips them to do. But why would we be envious? It's kind of like the analogy that Paul gives that we are one body, but made up of many parts. Why would I be envious of this? You know, there was a time where I, as a young man, was envious of people that got up and do what I did today. Because it's like, man, God, why, why can't I preach like that? Or why can't I, I teach like that and, all, and, and whatnot? And then I realized the gift that he gave me was for this. And so it began to take that away. But it was like other parts of my life. We, in the church, were like, well, why does he get to be on stage? Or, you know, or, or why do they get to do this or that? Why do they go on missions trip? Why can't I? You know, we're missing the heart of God and all of that, that we've all been placed here with a certain purpose. And we have to find that. But where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing. Is there how many evil things? All of them. It says every evil thing. It can't be more clear. It's confusion. Do we want to be confused? No. But we are self-seeking people. We seek what we want. I've said it before, but my conversations with people who claim that there is no God has much more to do with a moral question than it does an intellectual question. In other words, there's not a lack of evidence that God exists that keeps them from believing. That may be the excuse, but when you really dig down, and this is not always the case, but when you really dig down, it comes down to one thing. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. Because if God is real, then God sets the rules. And if God sets the rules, if we don't play by those rules, then there are certainly consequences. Now, obviously, I would say most of us in here, and I would, I would hope to say all of us in here, believe that God is real. There's no question about it. But when we're dealing with individuals, it comes down to a, a thing of morality. We are prideful, envious people who don't want to be told what to do. And so by that, now a lot of us just throw this out on, on the level of, you know, well, those non-believers, those immoral people and stuff. That happens in the church, too. You know, God laid out an order of, of a hierarchy, so to speak. And we don't want to be told by our spiritual elders that we're wrong. We get offended. We run off from the church. We do, we do whatever. When there's a biblical basis for all of this, because we don't want to be told what to do. And what does that always go back to? Pride. I would venture to guess, and I'm going to say 99%, but I'd almost say 100 but I don't want to throw it out there like that. If you trace everything back, Ultimately, it goes to pride. Another thing that Paul warned about is itching ears. Right? This is a device of Satan. We have itching ears. It's in 2 Timothy, Timothy chapter 4. In verse 3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Who is they? He's talking to the church. Timothy was a pastor. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth to be turned aside to fables. Paul was warning Timothy of a natural tendency of human beings to want to hear new things, smooth things, things that happen to appeal to us. And this goes back again to what we were saying a little bit ago. Look at the churches in America today. They've gone away from preaching the truth of the gospel. You can't, almost, you can't preach on sin anymore. We don't want to hurt somebody's feeling. It's all about our best life now. What can we get? What can we do? How can we be? Instead of preaching the truth of what sets people free. Loving somebody is not leaving them in their sins. Loving someone is telling them the truth and showing them that God can set them free from that. That's loving somebody. 
They have itching ears. They water down the Bible just to make it more palatable. We want to make it a, a, a fun place to be. Uh, they've compromised truth to stay trendy. As if that's what we are called to do. This conference I was just at, I was having a conversation with the lieutenant governor of North Carolina. And this guy is a conservative Godly man. This was an apologetics conference, if you don't know where I just went to. Apologetics is just a big fancy word. It's, just, uh, it's, it's the Greek word apologia, which talks about the sharing your faith, the confidence in sharing Jesus Christ and how we do that and the different uh, ways we do that. So I'm having lunch with the lieutenant governor there, and um, he and the governor go head to head on many, 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 many things. You know, on, on, they had a bathroom bill come up in, in, in North Carolina, which was basically. Um, you know, anybody can use whatever bathroom they want depending on how they feel that day. In other words, they've eliminated gender, essentially is what it comes down to. And it got voted down by a lot of his work and stuff. But he was telling me that he goes into a lot of these churches and he'll get up there on a Sunday morning and talk about different things that's going on inside of the state and whatnot. And he said, he said I cannot tell you how many times I, I'm getting ready to go on a stage. Says, you can, the pastor says, you can talk about anything you want. But don't talk about homosexuality because we're worried about losing our 501c3. And that irritated me because, first of all, I said, well, I said, first of all, do you know a church doesn't have to be a 501c3? He said, yeah, I do, but they don't seem to. And even if I tell them, they don't believe me. And it made me mad because I got to thinking about it. The church was never called to be tax exempt. It was called to be salt and light. It was called to be a city on a hill. And both of those things imply the speaking of truth in all times, even when it's unpopular. The tax-exempt thing is a benefit that we have in this country that most of the world does not share. I would venture to guess that most people giving to the church are not giving just for the tax write-off. Because if you are, that means that your heart in it is not necessarily correct. Now, it's one thing. It's like, i got to give $10,000 somewhere. I'll give it to the church. Okay, that's fine and good. I understand that. But our heart is we give to God because He first gave to us. We give to God because we love Him. And He is the one who provides for our needs and, and whatnot. But the tax exempt stuff, take it away. I don't care. Because that is not what we are here to do. We are here to preach the truth in love at all times. Itching ears is exactly what has caused this. We don't want to do anything that will offend anybody. And you see it all over the world. The last one I'm going to say is, I call it the four D's. I couldn't come up with anything more clever than this. But he has many devices that he uses. But here are just a couple of examples of them. They've been very effective in this world and inside the church. And sometimes we don't even realize what's going on. The first one would be disappointment. We're disappointed in, in a leader. We're disappointed in a friend, maybe a family member, maybe a pastor. And the problem is, oftentimes, we look to people as our standard instead of God. When you look to people as the standard of which you should live, they will let you down every single time. Why? Because they're fallible. They can't, they, can't equip, or they can't keep up with God. Sometimes we look at disappointment with God. God, why did you allow? Why did this happen? I don't understand. And we lose sight of the fact that the reason there's sickness, the reason there's death, or the reason there's bad things in this world, all goes back to the beginning in Genesis 3, where man decided that they knew more than God and would follow what Satan was saying and what Satan was doing. It brought sin, brought death. What is sickness? Slow death. Right? I mean, if we didn't have the immune system we have that fights these things, a simple cold could kill you. That's why AIDS is such you know, a big deal. It takes that autoimmune system out, 
and it can kill you. We have all these disappointments in life and things we don't understand. Why, why didn't my marriage work, God? Why didn't you fix it? And we forget that God's not sitting up there with a magic wand, that we have a responsibility on this earth as well. But the disappointment comes, and more often than not, we, we get disappointed when we see a leader fall. If you've watched anything on TV, you see this Josh Duggar stuff going on, right? 19 yeah. kids and counting, right? He, yeah. he, he, got, uh, he got busted with what had happened in years past, which kind of got blown out of... I mean, it's a bad thing that he did, and I don't think his parents necessarily handled it right, but it was years ago. Why crucify the guy now? Why come to, let it come to light now? You know, the, here's the thing. It's one thing when somebody does something wrong and is unrepentant, but he claimed to be unrepentant from it and it moved on from it. Now new information comes out just recently. If you've heard of that Ashley Madison website, apparently something where you can have an affair. I didn't even realize what it was until the news article comes out that he had had an active account and paid because some hackers got into this. And I don't know how they do that stuff. Some hacker gets into this puts all this information about all these people that were on there and that he was intentionally trying to have a fair and as a matter of fact did and only dropped it uh, in May when the news of the other thing had come out. Now that shows a sign of unrepentance. That's where he needs to be disciplined by the church. He needs to be disciplined by his brothers and, and bring him back into correction. But people looking to him as their example, of course, are going to be disappointed. It's like Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. But if we quit following Christ, don't follow me. Man will let you down. Another one is discouragement. Discouragement comes when we dwell on disappointments. A lot of times that kind of stuff, the simple thing of it, will lead to the discouragement. But God has given us His Holy Bible, His plan, His promises, and the Holy Spirit who all things encourages us. Disappointment, or di not disappointment, discouragement. We have things that let us down, things that, that just we dwell on is why, God, why? And then it begins to doubt, which is the next one, all the things that God has said. Well, it didn't work this time. How do I know it's going to work next time? How can I trust in this? And there's usually an, uh, an underlying reason that perhaps we're not seeing. The last one, and this is the biggie, where all of these things can lead to is division. This is division between people leads to division between man and God. You see this all over the place, but you know where you see it the most? is inside the church. You hear me say it a lot, that we have one heart, we have one mind, we have one purpose, and that is what? We worship Jesus with all that we have, right? Because if we keep our focus on that, we can't be divided. Because the little nonsensical stuff that we want to argue about really doesn't matter because our heart and our purpose for being here is that we want to worship God. And yeah, there are some details that we may have to work out, but I'm not going to allow myself to be divided about that. I'm not going to allow myself to be offended about it. You know, there can be some theological things that can divide people. And if they're non-essential, in other words, if somebody comes up and says, no, Jesus isn't the Son of God and salvation isn't for today or whatever, okay, let's divide on that. But if somebody comes up and says, well, I'm just not 100% sure that I agree with you on, on this part of it, something that really doesn't matter. Why would we allow something like that to divide it? I mean, it's talking about the, the gifts of the Spirit would be a perfect example. There are churches that believe that they cease, that they no longer operate today. When the Bible clearly does talk about how they are for today, that they do operate, but there is a way that God wants them to operate. In 1 Corinthians 14, He shows us that. And so we, we shouldn't allow things like that to necessarily divide us to the point that we cannot have open dialogue about it because we should all be seeking truth. But we, we allow division in the church about programs. I have seen adults 
act like toddlers inside the church over things that they don't like. The last church I was on staff at, right before I got there, they had a big building project. Um, they were meeting in a mall, real small space. I mean, it was like standing room only. So they basically quadrupled the size of the place. And as they were doing that, because it was such a large facility, they, put, they wanted to put up three multimedia screens. So we have one, so there's one in the middle, and then there'd be two on the sides. And there was a small handful of people who said, they put three screens up there. I'm not coming to this church anymore. What on earth for? What difference does that make? Another thing that we did, we implemented a child check-in system where parents come in, they go to the computer, it takes 30 seconds, you log your kid in, it assigns the classroom, and it's so the teachers know who's brought them and who's picking them up, essentially. We were in a public mall, people could just walk in. We didn't want to chance any of that stuff. And I watched a lady sit there, as, right after we implemented, it's like, I left my last church because of one of these. Okay, but what's the heart of it? We're trying to protect your kids. But they didn't care. It was an inconvenience to them. They didn't get their way. I've seen arguments over songs or the style of music, decor, who's doing what. Basically, any kind of change that happens inside of a church, people don't like it. They take it personally. They allow it to divide themselves. They allow pride to overrule. They allow this bitterness to creep up inside of them. And they become doing exactly the opposite of what God said we should do. Because none of this stuff is sinful. None of this stuff has anything to do with doctrine. All of it has to do with how we happen to operate or how we run things. And we allow those things to divide us. And those are the things that just make me sick. If a pastor gets up on, on stage and suddenly changes the doctrinal standpoint of a church because he's like, well, I just don't know if the Bible is exactly accurate in this, so I'm going to take it in a new way. We'll divide on that. But what color it is, who cares? I mean, there was a day back in the 90s, you guys remember all the plastic plants? I hated the plastic plants. You know why I hated them? Every time we did something, I was the guy that had to take them down and put them back up. I had bitterness towards those plants. They were evil. They were not the will of God. The whole church system missed it back in the 90s. It was against the will of God. You also remember the big plastic pulpits that they had back then? Anyway, that's a side story. But, but, but I hated them. And I begged the pastor. I said, you know, we could sure do something else, one that's not cheesy looking plastic plants they had one tree that looked like a marijuana plant it was weird and I'm like doesn't that like throw you off a little I don't know but anyway I begged him he's like no we really like them all right well whatever you want why because who cares right it's a pain in my neck but who cares it's stupid plants like I can find something better to argue about than that it's like we always talk about how we people resist change but you know what change people don't resist the change that's their idea they don't resist that change that change is good change, but every other change is bad change, right? And, and this is the problem. Why? Because we're all prideful. We don't like change. And what do we do? We hide behind the, well, I've been praying about it. And what we do is we gossip. We go to other people in the church. It's like, well, you know, I just want you to be praying about so-and-so because, you know, they're, they're going through this and that. Our heart's not for prayer. And that doesn't mean that's not always the case. But our heart's not for prayer. What are we doing? We're gossiping. We're trying to rally the troops on our side. I saw this happen in my own life, and I'm going to share this story with you. And I'll get to the why we're talking about all this here in a second. Is Several years ago, I was, I was a youth pastor of a church, and I had a committed family that, were, that began to help lead, help us. 
you know, their son had been coming to our youth ministries for years. They'd been a part of a different church, um, had come over to our church at one point. And I've known these people for years. In fact, friends with them, trusted them, all of that. And as in any case, at the end of the day, somebody has to make a decision, right? And that means sometimes that decision isn't yours and you don't like it, but somebody's got to call a shot. And so it came to that. I had to call a shot. So I prayed about it. I felt like I was going the best direction that I could, but they didn't like it. So they began to talk to people about the things that I was doing. And that talk went from the things that I was actually doing to the things that I had no idea I was doing. Nobody told me I was doing those. You know, in other words, they didn't exist. They were gossiping. They were making stuff up. And this root of bitterness gets inside of their heart. And I watched them constantly try to take us down. They were, trying, they were trying to get me removed from the church. They eventually couldn't and left the church and went to another church and started bad-mouthing me there. And it hurt. I'm not going to lie. It hurt. I, I was this close to leaving ministry over that because it hurt so bad. These were people I trusted, and I couldn't believe that they were doing Now, and I not had my blinders on, I should have believed it. But, but anyway, they do this. And I'm praying, God, what, what, what do I do here? Because there, there are tons of accusations flying against me. And the thing that always came to my mind is that when Jesus is standing before Pilate, what, what say you? And he says nothing. He keeps his mouth shut. And that's what I felt like the Lord was saying. You say nothing. There's nothing to defend. I'll defend you. And so I got a call from the pastor of the church that they were now attending. And uh, his son had been coming to our youth ministry for quite a while. And he said, like, hey, can we get together? I think we need to talk. And I'm like, here it is. You know, he's going to pull his kid. He's heard all the nonsense. He's going to pull his kid. He's not going to be allowed to come anymore and whatnot. And I'm just bracing myself for the worst. He comes in and sits in my office, and he said, uh, I just want to let you know I've heard a lot of stories recently about you. I said, oh, I have no doubt of that. He said, I also want you to know I don't believe any of them. And I looked at him, and I said, you're kidding me. He said, no, I don't believe a word that's coming out of their mouth. I said, why is that? He's like, it is contrary to your character, what they're accusing you of. It's the complete opposite. Long story short, and it is a long story because this was several months that this went over. I watched these people. Basically, nobody believed them, ever. Not one. Not one person believed the things that they were saying. And they actually blackballed themselves to the point where nobody would listen to anything that they were saying. And it all started because God said, allow me to defend you. You don't need to say nothing. And I was obedient to that. Now, that's not what I wanted to do. You know why I didn't want to do it? Because my pride was on the line. What do you mean you're going to say this against me? I don't do that stuff. It was all nonsense. And this is what the enemy comes in. What were they doing? They are creating division. You are of your father, the devil. Right? This isn't the will of God. This isn't how God wants to do things. This isn't even the best. Even if there is some legitimacy to it, there's a proper way to handle things. And that wasn't the case. We cannot allow division inside of the body of Christ. Why? We should have one heart, one mind, one purpose. But there is division. We allow division among the church. Sometimes it's, it's maybe something that I've done that would divide. Or, or somebody else did. Or somebody in the community. And so as I was driving back, I was praying and... and, and you know, as I said, the Lord was taking me this direction because this is completely different than what I had planned. But, but I believe that there's some in here that has allowed some of this div division, some of the pride, some of the strife, some of the envy to go on. 
in your lives. And I'm not looking for you to show your hands or anything like that. But we've got to get the heart of God. We've got to get the heart of what He is and what He wants and what He's doing and to not allow the nonsense to divide us. And so here's what I want to do. I've got a worship song ready. And I want to take a few minutes and just, we're going to worship God together. One last time before we go, because I'm almost done. And whatever it is, give it over to God. Let it go. If you need to repent to somebody for something, do it. Swallow your pride. If somebody needs to repent to you because they were in the wrong, forgive them and allow God to take care of it. We don't fight. Our, our weapons are not carnal. And so we're going to do this together, and we're just going to give it to God. If maybe you need healing in your body or for whatever reason, let's just pray to God and let's just worship. Let's receive it today together. And if you need me to pray for you during this song, come up here. I'll pray for you. But let's just stand up right now, real quick. We're almost done. And let's worship God. Daniel, go ahead.
God and doing just what that song says is that we trust without borders and sometimes we allow division to come in and I, I, I spoke about the church but sometimes it's not even the individuals here but maybe it's in your family or maybe it's amongst friends or, or something we allowed something they said to hurt our feelings even if maybe we don't understand the intentions but we have allowed division to come in there and that is not the will of God that is not what God said we shouldn't divide over over little and nonsense stuff. We shouldn't allow any of it. The pride of life. We are called to swallow our pride so that we can boast in the things of God. We can't boast in the things of God if we think that we are the reason we are so great. Or we are the reason that we are here to do different things. It is all about Him. And so, what I'm saying to you is that when you feel these things, coming on this pride rising up or perhaps envy or bitterness or whatever it is do what the Bible says take that thought captive by the very Word of God take the authority that Jesus gave us over it and don't allow it to fester inside of us but that we follow God with all things father we worship you today I thank you for bringing healing and correction to us where we need it. That your word is the guide of which we live our lives, Lord, and that in all things that we will lean on it. That you, Holy Spirit, will move us into the truth at all times, leading us to where we need to go and where we get off. You bring correction where it needs to be. Father, we glorify you in this place today, and I thank you that as we walk through life, that we're not ignorant of the enemy's devices but that we are greater and stronger because of you to overcome all things that come against us, that no weapon that was formed against us will ever prosper because of what you've done. We glorify you for it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. God is good. Amen. You guys be dismissed. Have a great week. We'll